thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. So I had many friends that would come out to me without being public. And I struggled so much with that because I knew it was absolutely wrong for them to be kicked out of school. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything. And I carried that with me. I mean, there was literally anxiety. Someone's going to find out and I'm going to get kicked out of school. It was awful. And I mean, the really sad thing is um, one of those people ended up taking their life. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, really sad that that person thought because they might not be able to get their education or move on with their life, that it would be better if it was over. Yeah. I know that it's still happening. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're only listening and you want to see our faces, go to my YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can like and subscribe, join in on, on the conversation. It's so heartwarming to see everyone who is jumping in on the cause and helping me advocate for these people who are coming forward and telling their stories and hitting that subscribe button really just tells me that you're an advocate and you want the algorithm to shoot this out to more people. So thank you for that. So today's guest has quite the story. In fact, we've already decided we're going to do two episodes because there's just so much to cover. The first thing being talking about her time at BYU, which we haven't really discussed at length yet. So the rules, the things that they had to comply with just to be able to get a college education as far as it being tied to Mormonism. So we're also going to get into her time at EFY, which is especially for youth. It is this big program put on for kids. Kids. Um, she would probably say it's more of like an indoctrination camp, but we're going to get more into that later. And in the next episode, after you watch this one, we talk about how when she lived in Vegas, after she left the church, she somehow ended up becoming an employee at this nudist temple. And they they washed it in a whole bunch of flowery language and Buddhism, but in reality, it was very culty and very problematic. So a lot to cover. Thank you so much for joining us, Kirsten. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I cannot wait. This is going to be so much fun. Um, so <laughs> let's first talk about you growing up Mormon, because I really want to hear about your perspective when you were in the program EFY, which is especially for youth. And so tell everyone what that was like and why you wanted to join to be a counselor. Yeah, okay. So there's a lot there. Um, kind of my backstory, I grew up mainstream Mormon, like you said, born into the church, very, very devout family. Um, I had, I mean, back to pioneer days, I have relatives in the first presidency back in wow. the original days and, um, you know, helping with the Book of Mormon and getting it out there and all sorts of stuff that, you know, really got the church to all the people. <laughs> So um, I grew up very much with um, feeling like we were Mormon royalty. Uh, right. So it was really important for me to have that 
I don't know, example, you know, because it was very much, I'm not sharing my last name, but if you knew it, you would know that we, you know, we're very much in the church. And so right away, people were like, oh, are you related to? And I'm like, yep, that's me, <laughs> direct line, eighth wife or whatever, right. you know. So um, it was very much always feeling like I had to be an example. I had to be the good one to stand out. Um, it, you know, held every calling that there was in young women's. I constantly had a calling in leadership there. Um, even in primary, I, I grew up, um, playing piano. I started playing when I was four. And so even at one point I was the primary pianist at like 10 years old. Oh my god! And so it was just, it was constantly being put in front and center, no matter what word I was in, um, no matter where I was. And my family was very proud of that. Very, very much so. Real quick, before you continue, I have to briefly tell those who aren't familiar, because sometimes I forget when we do the home team cult, which is Mormonism, that people don't know some of the lingo. So oh, um, so right. for a calling, people have asked us before, what is a calling? It's where the ward, which is the congregation, assigns you a job to do in the church, and it's all volunteer-based. So a calling, for example, would be a primary president, and the primary is where all the little kids go and learn about the church. So if you were primary president, you would be in charge of basically all of these kids and making sure things are aligned with the lessons and that the teachers know what they're doing. So holding a calling is something that Everyone generally does if you are a devout Mormon, right? They yes. sometimes they'll call, they'll quote, call someone who is less active to get them to come back because if you give someone a job, then they have right? to show up. So sometimes that happens, but usually the higher callings like uh, primary president or young women's president, things like that, go to the people who are super elite um, and are yes. doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing. So I just wanted to clarify that for people so that you know in Kirsten's case she was doing all the right things and even from a really young age that's actually really rare I think at least from my perspective yeah, that is. you would be having these jobs as a child because yeah. usually you don't get them until you at least hit what they call the young women's age which is 12 to 18 so right okay continue yeah I'm glad you clarified that because I forget that too. I'm like, you grew up Mormon, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was really, really rare for someone that was not an adult to have that sort of presence in leadership. Yeah. Um, like you said, it starts at age 12, but usually, you know, if you're head of primary, which is the little kids would be more of an adult. So playing the piano for these little kids when I myself was a little kid, um, made me feel special and awkward at the same time. So I definitely wanted to fit in. And I already felt like I was kind of othered or standing out because it was always, oh, well, Kirsten's this way or Kirsten's this way. We're going to have her do this. And I, I hated that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, growing up, I felt like I was really conflicted. Um, there was one story I wanted to share from when I was really little that I'm still unraveling to this day. My mom used to tell me a quote. I can't remember who it was from, but she had it on our fridge. She always had it on our fridge and it said, it's better to be a friend than to have a friend. 
And she meant that as like, oh, it's, you got to be kind to people and be a missionary and all these things. But I remember even as a kid thinking, well, then who's going to be my friend? Yeah. And I thought that all the time. And to this day, it like haunts me because I want to be kind to everyone. I'm like, it's better to be a friend than have a friend. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I really want friends too. Yeah. Who's going to be my friend, you know? And I thought that all growing up in the church, because I always really wanted to be kind to everyone and um, include people. And I always felt like um, I'm there for other people, but they're not necessarily there for me. Mm. You know, that was the feeling. I really hope that wasn't the case. And I hope I'm not, you know, making, if anybody else sees this, that I went to school with or church with, I hope that that wasn't the case and they don't feel like, you know, I'm telling a story different than what it was, but that was just my perspective at that time growing up. Um, So it was difficult, but I just wanted to stay on the path. I wanted to make my parents happy and proud. And I also wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. So when I graduated from high school, um, I really wanted to go out of state so I could be away. And my mom told me if I was going to go out of state, the only college I could attend was BYU. Mm. And I remember just being like, okay, fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, just get me out of here and then I'll figure it out kind of thing. Um, my sister already went to BYU and was doing really well. She was a resident assistant, you know, and took all the classes and all the things. So when I got to BYU, um, I continued with my stellar, I guess, Mormon reputation, even though I really wanted to do other things. Um, I remember at BYU, um, on Sundays, they have this thing called um, tunnel singing. I don't know if anyone's talked to you about no. this yet. But, <laughs> well, maybe they don't do this. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 40, so this was a long time ago. But what they would do on Sunday is groups would go down and sing in these tunnels. They would sing hymns like all together in the tunnels. So it would just like echo and bring out this church music. And I never wanted to go because I thought it was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like I, I need to study and do my paper, right? I got constantly shamed for not going to tunnel singing. What? Like constantly. Yeah. My roommates were like, well, if that's how you want to spend your Sunday. And I was like, it is. Thanks. I'm going to, I'm going to study and not do tunnel singing. And that was like a big thing. They'd be like, well, your sister goes. I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. I got that a lot. Me and my sister were in the same ward for a while. Okay. So I have to clarify also BYU is Brigham Young University and it is a church run school. So it is it's an accredited university. It's actually, they do have a lot of really good program. Well, supposedly, who knows if that's like church propaganda. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like I got a pretty good education other than having to use my electives for Book of Mormon classes. Oh my you goodness. Know, so. Okay, so accredited university, but you either you either have to be Mormon to go like a good Mormon where you literally have to go to church or they could kick you out of school and you have all these rules to follow, which we're going to list a few just so people understand what it's like going to BYU. But if you... And I rode that line real hard. There were a couple of times I got kicked out of the testing center because you couldn't even take a test if you were breaking any of the rules visually, like had 
different colored hair or if men had a beard um, or if their hair was too long, they literally would say, you need to go and fix whatever and then come back and take your test. It's insane. So you could go to that school if you weren't a member, but I'm pretty sure it was really expensive. And also, why? Why would you do that? So <laughs> Also, you had to have an interview with whoever the local leaders were. So a bishop or a stake president, they also had to interview you and see if you were worthy to go if you were not a member of the church. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it was it was intense, at least when I went. Again, I want to preface this saying this was 20 years ago. I hope and pray they have moved beyond that. But I, I have no I'm pretty clue. sure it's still the so. same. So, <laughs> so <laughs> let's sure, just yeah. like list like a laundry list of rules that you had to follow just so people can understand what life was like at BYU. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, one big thing, you couldn't have an unnatural colored hair, although I frequently argued that bright ass aerial red. Oh, ask. Can I? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was like, I think I can, but then I felt bad. <laughs> okay. So like brat ass aerial red. I'm like, that's not natural. And frankly, neither is highlights, but you know, um, an unnatural colored hair. I did have purple hair at one time. That's what happened with the testing center. I put on a hat and came back and then it kicked me out. But anyways, um, you have to have inspections. I don't know if that's a thing at other places, but if you lived in the dorms, um, you had to have monthly like white glove cleaning inspections because cleanliness is next to godliness. Oh. I shit you not. Um, you couldn't wear a shirt that showed any skin when you lifted your arms. Um, they could ask you to leave class if you were like leaning forward in your desk and your back showed. Um, you had to have at least a cap sleeve, if not longer. Um, couldn't have a shirt too deep. So like this one, I wouldn't be able to wear. I'd have to wear a tank top with it or something underneath. Um, you couldn't have shorts or skirts above your knee. Um, men could not have beards or long hair. Couldn't be like even growing over your neck at all. Um, they even had like a two inch rule. Th there were very specific rules, like two inches above your collar. You know, mm. um, you couldn't have more than one ear piercing. So I, I know a lot of people did and just wore their hair over it, but you couldn't have more than one ear piercing or any facial piercings or anything like that. No visible tattoos. How about the dorm rules? Oh, my God. The <laughs> dorm too rules. Much. too much, Kirsten. It's so bad. Uh, we're not as bad as BYU-Idaho, but pretty damn close. <laughs> um, the ones I lived in was three bedrooms and six girls or boys, you know, wherever you lived. And then they also had the dorms that were just two beds, normal dorm room, you know. In ours, there was a kitchen area and then the bedrooms down the hall. Yeah. An opposite gendered human could not go past the kitchen line. Mm -hmm. So they could only stay in the kitchen slash sitting area. There was a really janky couch and a table. And that was it. Just teeny, teeny, tiny room. So if you had more than four people, it got cramped, yeah. you know. They couldn't go past that line. Um, if you were in a dorm at all, they couldn't come into an opposite gender's room at all. You know, if you're in just a normal bedroom thing. Um, they had to leave by midnight. Mm -hmm. I, was it 10 <laughs> or midnight? midnight? I think it was midnight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the cleanliness thing drove me nuts. Because I'm like, we are six 18-year-old girls. Like, it's not going to be clean. Right. <laughs> People would get extreme about it, you know, like literally putting duct tape on the line 
and be like, if you cross this, you have to leave our home. Like it was, some people were insane about it. And, um, that's one thing that was really hard for me. Cause you know, we're in college. We're trying to have a nice time. It's very normal for college people to stay up past midnight and knowing that you can't be with your friends anywhere except literally outside. They had to physically leave the building at midnight. So if you wanted to continue to hang out with your friends, you had to be outside your building completely, which it snows in the winter. So it's not that comfortable most of the time, you know. The other thing that I want to point out is the snitching culture that they enforce. So it's not just like, oh, thanks for letting us know. It's mandatory tattletaling. And I totally forgot about this. I was doing a live with Amanda Ray and someone was asking, maybe she asked me if there's snitching culture in the mainstream Mormon church because she's from a fundamentalist sect. And I was like, not really. I mean, they kind of guilt you to go and tell yourself. And then people in the comments were like, what about BYU? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. And BYU, it's required to tell on someone if they're breaking the rules because let's say you have a roommate who's breaking a rule and you decide to let it slide because whatever someone crossed the duct tape and then they find out that she was doing something wrong and you didn't tell on her you would be punished yeah potentially kicked out they they call it revoking your ecclesiastical uh endorsement right you would lose your endorsement so literally every semester you have to meet with your bishop, who is, you know, your local leader, and they have to sign off that you are worthy to continue your education. Oh my gosh. So if they find out that your roommate did something or your friend did something, if you have knowledge and you go into your interview and they say, well, it sounds like you're not you know, being honest with your fellow man because you were lying for this person. So I'm not going to say you're worthy to continue. And that's literally your education. And that happened all the time. It happened to me. I mean, I had something that happened to me. It was my very last semester. Something we might get into another time we kind of talked about involving essay. And um, I had a roommate that told went to the honor code office and said that this had happened, not saying it was, you know, assault. And I got called in and they put me on probation. And right. And I told them that it it was assault. I was like, I've even seen the school counselor about it. And they were like, well, that's not what we heard. So we have to go off what we were told and you're going to be on probation. I had about a month left oh to get my, my degree. Gosh. Oh, I lost my shit. I never, I never even told my family because oh. I was so horrifically embarrassed that this happened. That is so wrong. And I had to continue to live with this person for another, you know, five weeks or whatever it was. Wow. Yeah. So what happened? Were you able to graduate? Yeah, I was able to. I finished. I walked and everything. But um, I think because I was so adamant that it was assault and um, the other person was not a student and that I had seen the counselor, you know, they had on record that I'd been going to the school counselor. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure they probably didn't share what we spoke about or whatever. But um, or I hope not. Who knows? (laughs) You know, but uh, since I think. I think the honor code office was probably 
trying to be lenient because, you know, I was so adamant that it was not my doing and because I was so close to graduation. That's what, I mean, that was the impression I get. I mean, the really sad thing that I don't think is talked about enough, oh, maybe it is more now, that if you knew someone that was gay, lesbian, you know, queer, anything, if you knew about it and didn't say you would get the punishment. I mean, it was like, you knew and, you know, it was crazy. And it was awful. It was truly awful because I, at that point, was very... I was very concerned about these people, these individuals. Um, I've always been really, really open you know, my family doesn't really know how open I was to um, people of this lifestyle because they were so against it. So I had many friends that would come out to me without being public. Mm-hmm. And I struggled so much with that because I knew it was absolutely wrong for them to be kicked out of school. Yeah. And so I didn't say anything. And I carried that with me. I mean, there was literal anxiety that I was like, someone's going to find out and I'm going to get kicked out of school. Wow. And um, it was awful. And I mean, the really sad thing is um, one of those people ended up taking their life. Mm. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I'm like getting emotional already. That's okay. And it's just really, really sad that that person thought because they might not be able to get their education or move on with their life, that it would be better if it was over. Yeah. And um, I know that it's still happening. And it's just really, really sad to contemplate that so many amazing people that could go on to do incredible things or even not incredible things. Who fucking cares? These people deserve to be here, mm-hmm. you know, and thinking that their friends might tell on them or they might get kicked out of school or even their family finding out, it just, it breaks my heart. I know that was kind of a tangent, but, you know, there were so many people like that. It's important to talk about because this thing is still happening. This epidemic of youth suicide in Utah um, who are part of the LGBTQ population because they don't feel like they have another way out. They don't know that they have options and they feel stuck. And, um, It's just really, really awful, especially to put that pressure on kids. I mean, college is hard enough. You don't need the pressure of like constantly looking over your shoulder and wondering who's watching. And I think now and whoever's been to BYU recently, you can let us know in the comments. But I believe that now you're allowed to be gay. But if you're caught holding hands, if you're caught holding hands, just like the very basic thing, holding hands, you could be kicked out of school. I think that's the policy now. So I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's still not good and it's not okay, but it has gotten slightly better and more relaxed. That's heartbreaking. I was hanging out with some friends and um, one that was pretty devout. I guess very much like a rule follower. And we had someone come that um, he had come out very, very recently and decided on his own to leave school. And he come to visit us. 
And so, you know, we were all so excited to see him, giving him hugs. And I was like, I'm so proud of you, you know, standing up for what you're going to do. And he was trying to transfer. And you know how hard that can be yeah. with credits and stuff, especially I don't think people realize from BYU, we have so many religious classes that they don't transfer. So you yeah. could have, you know, even 20 credits that aren't going to transfer with you. But anyway, so he came to visit and um, he was there for a while. And then as he left, this girl turned to me and goes, oh, my God, I'm so glad he he left. Didn't you notice how the spirit completely left her apartment when he was here? And I was like, and I, I, I have such a smart mouth. I turned around. I was like, no, I did not feel that. I did not get that impression whatsoever. And she was like, oh, you know, clutching her pearls and went to her room. But I, I think about that all the time. Like, what if he had heard that? Or have yeah. you forbid someone else in our apartment that, you know, had feelings or was struggling with coming out and then they just heard that that's like slamming that closet door shut you know so yeah that's something that makes me sad but also kind of just points to how you know it's almost funny how mormons are like we have the spirit and you don't mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so for those who are wondering it's such a big deal to, quote, have the spirit because when you're baptized, you receive the Holy Ghost. It's like once you're dunked and then you have laying on of hands, you literally receive this little ghosty friend that hangs around you and tells you to make yes. good decisions. So it sounds really weird when you actually it spell it out like that. It, it is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is they use emotional manipulation to make you believe that certain feelings are the Holy Ghost and certain feelings are the absence of the Holy Ghost. Yes. And they use that to control you. So uh, her friend saying, did you feel the Holy Ghost left the room? No, that's just she was taught that this person is less than. She was homophobic. Let's just call it what it is. And that by that person being in the room, her salvation or her spirituality was affected by this just regular human being who was in her presence. And that's not uncommon. Like, no. this isn't something that's like, oh, that's just one person who had issues. No, this is a huge problem that is actively taught in the church yes. in a, quote, loving way. So how they phrase everything is they'll say, we love you so much. This is like the regular member talking to someone who is gay, for example. We love you so much that we won't accept or condone your behavior because in doing so, we are leading you down the wrong path and we're accepting right. the fact that you will have a less than salvation or you won't end up in the right heaven or whatever it is. Right. They just say it's out of love and it's not. It's not out of love. It's That's not. very conditional love. That's not even what Jesus is preaching, right? If they say that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and don't actually follow what Jesus said as far as love everybody. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's really backwards and it's extremely upsetting. And so I'm glad you brought that up because it's just one small example of how these groups in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are oppressed and pushed down and forgotten and uh, stomped on yeah. and actively being trashed because of these teachings that are so problematic. And it just, yeah. it's not healthy. It's not a healthy environment for a college student who just wants to get an education. 
And yeah, exactly. It's just really upsetting. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about about BYU before we go into EFY? You know, just going back to, you know, bringing up oppressed groups. Um, I had a friend there that was black, beautiful, amazing, smart, intelligent, all of the things getting a very difficult degree. Um, and she would come home just so upset because she was feeling oppressed every single day. And she's like, you have no idea what it's like. And I didn't, you know, and I remember at the time being like, yeah, that sucks. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. And, um, you know, eventually she ended up leaving the church. And I remember having conversations and many students, when she would bring it up, you know, trying to share her story, trying to find someone to be her advocate. I mean, you really could feel that she wanted someone to just say, I wish it wasn't this way, or I'll stand up for you, or, you know, whatever it is. And I remember people literally coming to me and being like, I don't even know what she's talking about. I feel like she, I remember this very distinctly, someone saying, I feel like she's making excuses for not wanting to be spiritual. What? Exactly. I remember just being like, oh, you know, because I didn't even know what to say. So I was like, I don't think that's right. But at the same time, you know, I was questioning myself and I was like, what if that is it? You know, because this is a perfect church and she should feel loved and welcome. And I'm not trying to oppress her, you know, and I hate, I hate that that was even the stance I took because I was a young college kid and wanted to, to fit in. But I just remember feeling so like getting that ick factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't think that's it. I don't think that she doesn't want to be a part of this church and not be spiritual. Like it's the opposite. She's saying, I want to be part of this church. Let me be part of the church. Yeah. Were you aware of the priesthood ban at the time? Yes, very much so. I grew up in Texas. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, Texas, I always say it's the South, but is it, you know, <laughs> the South kind of, Texas kind of doing something, but it was something that was talked about a lot, mm. um, a lot. And it was very much, this is what happened, but it's because God wanted it that way. And now he says it's okay. So it's fine. And I remember asking a lot of questions growing up, like, especially to my mom. My mom was a convert. And I was like, how are you okay with this? Like, you were alive and knew how it was before they were banned. And she goes, it's just one of those things that I don't really agree with, but I feel like God has his timing. Ugh. Very much just like put it on the shelf. Yeah. And I remember just hating that and not getting it. Um, my parents didn't grow up in the South and they were very much not in that mindset. But there are a lot of people that were. Like I remember when a black family joined our ward. I'm not sure. If, I think they just moved in. I don't think they were converts. They moved to our ward and people stopped coming. And I think this is something that needs to be talked about more because people are like, oh, it's racist or, you know, the Book of Mormon has things. People believe that. I mean, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm almost 40, but I'm not that old. And this is when I was a teenager. This, the black family moved in and people stopped coming. Jeez. 
they were like, it's dirty now. You know, we don't want to come. And oh I'm my like, gosh. What? That what? is awful. It was horrific. Can you explain to people what the priesthood ban is and why we both think it is awful? <laughs> I would think, I would hope everyone thinks it's awful. But, yes. you know, in the church, I think it was Brigham Young that really pushed for it. It, they banned anyone um, of black descent, mixed race, or, you know, whatever. Um, if you were Black, you were not allowed to hold the priesthood or participate in all of the ordinances. So that meant no temple ceiling, um, you know, no temple ordinance, things like that. And it was not changed until, I believe it was 1978 mm-hmm. or 76. I think it's 78. Something around there. I mean, it was in the 70s, though. This was not that long ago. Yeah. And finally, they were allowed to have the priesthood. So in this life, they would say, anyone with dark skin would not be able to receive all the blessings because they had been cursed. Yeah. And a few things to put into perspective. Number one, Brigham Young was an awful, awful man. I don't know how they have not changed the name of the school yet. He's the second prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's the one that sent everyone to Utah uh, in the dead of winter. Most a lot of them died. And then he came along in the spring and settled Utah and was like, I'm king. And in the States, um, they were like, no, (laughs) this is our land. And he's like, well, fine. So he kind of gave in because they sent the military over and they're he was the one that was in charge when they were like, he fought back real hard, though. He did. He was like, "Mm, so... I don't know. He is in charge <laughs> of Mountain Meadows Massacre, literally murdering women and children and men who were just crossing through trying to get to California. Horrible story. We can probably do a whole episode on that. Uh, but for sure. Yeah. Basically, he's like an awful guy. And there are some really horrible quotes from Brigham Young. Just Google Brigham Young racism and you will be astonished. He was literally telling people that if I, let's just say I were to marry my husband (laughs) and we have a baby and that baby has any sort of African-American blood or or any African descent, as you said, I should kill the baby on the spot. Like that's what he was telling people. So it's real bad. It's, it's not just bad. they didn't really believe in equality. It's they thought they should be wiped out or be slaves. And it's awful. Yes. And just saying those words out loud makes my skin crawl. And I'm sorry. No, this whole thing I hate talking about. It's just ugh, it's a lot. It's just awful. And I hate that intrinsically it's part of my history because I have family that was there. Right. And I hate thinking that this is where I came from. I mean, we all have to accept what our family is. Mm -hmm. But just thinking about it, it just makes my skin crawl because I can't even believe that this was something that they did and continue to pass on to people that they say they're getting better, but there's so much that's not. Yeah. Like you said, the ban was lifted in 78. Like, guys, this was not that long ago. Another thing that I wanted to point out about the priesthood ban and why it's such a big deal is because in Mormonism, you are taught that having the priesthood, which is it's kind of a silly thing. Like if you're a guy, you have it. It's just like, here you go. The power of God. And if you are 
unworthy, you get that taken away. You're excommunicated, right? So you have to be a baptized Mormon to have the power of God, but they're giving it away to like 12-year-old boys. (laughs) So that's a whole other thing. The misogyny and the sexism is rampant. So essentially, they believe that if you hold the priesthood, you are getting to a certain level of heaven and you can do these temple ordinances, as you mentioned. You get married with your spouse. You get sealed in the temple. You make all these covenants with God. And the women have to have a worthy priesthood holder to pull them through the veil of heaven. So if you are... Which, by the way, is the weirdest thing ever. I mean, when I got married and... Oh, it was awful. I was like, I'm sorry, what? You're telling me that you bring me to heaven? Not really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as far as I'm aware, when you die, let's say hopefully your husband dies first because he has to pull you through the veil. So when you die, your husband calls out your new name, which is a secret name that they give to you in the temple that only your husband can know. You cannot know his name, but he can know yours because he has to call it out. Uh, Julie, and then you find you're like, oh, there you are, my husband. And only if he's worthy, will he be able to pull you through the veil of heaven. So if you don't have the priesthood and you are married to someone uh, that you can't pull them through the veil, they can't go to heaven without a worthy priesthood holder, which is why what happens often. And I'm saying a lot. This happens where one of the spouses deconstructs Mormonism and is like, whoa, this isn't for me. God forbid it's the man because then the woman goes, well, shit, how am I going to get to heaven if I don't have someone to pull me through the veil? And they will divorce their husband just because they don't believe the same thing anymore because of this very interesting idea that you have to have a man to pull you through the veil of heaven. It's just bonkers to me. Yeah. Okay, so I feel like we've covered quite a bit about BYU, and there's still a lot to cover. I mean, we could probably do three hours on BYU, but I really want to get into EFY. I think we need to round this episode out with some culty camp stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> EFY, it's especially for youth, and it's a kids' program. They put it on in Utah. It's like a weekend long thing, right? It's like three days or something. The one I went to, I think, was five. Five days. It was five. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So it's a big deal in Utah. Uh, For me, growing up there, it was like, oh, EFY is this weekend. Are you going? And you were super cool if you decided to go. And it was expensive, though. So I remember a lot of families couldn't afford it. So if you went, you were kind of one of the elite Mormons, like the cool Mormon (laughs) kids. And I don't know if it was like that in other states, but Utah, but it definitely was like that. No, it really was like, when I went, cause I went as a youth and then I went as a counselor or I got hired as a counselor, um, several years apart. But when I went, it was like, Oh my God, you went to EFY. <laughs> oh my God. Like they had me come back. I gave a talk in sacrament meeting about my experience. Wow. Like it was this whole thing. Everyone wanted to see all the pictures and they're like, please tell us what you learned. Oh my God. No, it was like, you know, you were, you're extra spiritual because you just got home extra from EFY. Spiritual. So, you know, no, it was a, it was a thing. Okay. Yeah. So I want to point out that they no longer call it EFY. It's called FSY, which is for strength of youth. And I just was told 
they rebranded. So what I noticed <laughs> on John's page, John Delin, he posted something from Mormon Stories, and it was an email sent to a member from the authorities, the high authorities or whatever, saying that they're wanting to make FSY mandatory for the youth. Like they're going to try and force all the kids to go. <laughs> and I think it's because so many, especially our generation and below, they're just not having the church anymore. They're like, yeah, I'm out. And they're leaving yeah. in mass numbers. And the church is like, this is their last ditch effort to indoctrinate the children. <laughs> yeah. So I think right. you would agree that uh, these camps are really just to embed the teachings into these kids so that they grow oh, up yeah. to be productive members and give 10% of their money to the church and, you know, <laughs> grow the kingdom of Zion. Keep that trust fund growing, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so now it's for strength of youth. And it's funny because I was in Utah a couple of days ago. It was like last weekend or something. And on my flight home, I was in security line in the Utah airport in Salt Lake City. And there was a whole bunch of kids with their FSY t-shirts on and their BYUH <laughs> backpacks. And I'm like, wow, it's really a thing. And the thing that's interesting, though, is I noticed there would be these just random adults that would try and talk to these kids because they had that shirt on, assuming the adults were also Mormon. And I just think that that can get really dangerous and dicey when you're part of a group. You just automatically give all of your trust to someone else who's also part of the group because yeah. they're supposed to have the same morals and values as yeah. you. And that just can be really dangerous if these kids just open up to these random strangers. And it was just one of those red flag moments that I probably never would have even bat an eye at before. <laughs> but now that I'm on the outside, I'm like, oh, don't be talking to this these adults. Like, I'm yeah. wanting to protect these college kids. And, Good, and someone is. from these adults, right? Because it just felt really uncomfortable just the yeah. way they were so open and communicating. But anyway, do you want to yeah. talk about your experience as a kid in EFY as well as being a counselor? Or do you want to jump right into the counselor oh, yeah. stuff? No, I think talking about my experience there kind of feeds into why I wanted to be a counselor. Okay. Yeah. So I went, I want to say when I was like 14 or 15 and then 16, I went twice. Um, and it was horrendously expensive. I mean, I went probably mm, late nineties, early two thousands. And I think then it was like close to $600. So, I mean, this was not a cheap thing, uh, you know, and it was at a local university. It was five days. You got a dorm room. You had all your meals, um, sun up to sundown. I think it started at like seven in the morning and there was a dance, I think every night or every other night, but there was always something in the evening till like nine or 10. It went late. Mm. So this wasn't, you know, just like a little eight hour day. It was like sun up to sundown. But I remember going and basically what you do is you have morning devotional, then you have breakfast, then you have another devotional with like, there's a girls group and a boys group. And then you make like a solid group together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so then you would meet like morning, it would be just the girls and you would have breakfast, then you'd meet with the boys and the girls. And that was like your family kind of thing. There was a boy counselor and a female counselor. 
And um, then you would go to classes, which were often taught by either local authorities like state presidents and um, not bishops. It was like higher up, um, high council people. But also they would fly in speakers from like Utah who worked for CES. So, um, you know, Brad Wilcox, I've heard Mm. many things. I've been to several things with Brad Wilcox. That's one that just stood out because when I saw his thing recently, I was like, ah, good old Brad, still up to his shenanigans. Oh, my he gosh. He was not, by the way, saying anything I have not heard for literally years. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. For those who don't know, Brad Wilcox was recent, recently outed by Mormon Stories because someone snuck a camera in to one of the youth meetings that he was presiding over and he's just giving this horrendous talk and <laughs> John DeLynn just just put him on blast and it was so good. <laughs> oh, what were some of the things he was saying? The one that I remember that really stood out was he was telling people uh <laughs> This story about this girl who wanted to get married or she was about to get married. She was engaged or something. And she came to him and was so excited. And he was like, oh, are you getting married for time and all of eternity or just time? And I hope I'm not butchering the story. And she was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he was like, well, do you love your husband or your soon to be husband? Of course. Don't you want to be married in the afterlife? Well, yeah, I didn't know that was an option. Well, if you join the Mormon church, you can get married for time and all eternity. You could be together forever. (laughs) And kind of like manipulating her into wanting to join. And so he went on to say that all of the people who get regular married are not really married in the eyes of God and that they're not real marriages. And that everyone else who isn't Mormon, I kid you not, he said... People who are not Mormon, who are going to church, are literally playing church. Like, they're just pretending. Like playing house. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I could not. And then he, oh, here's one that just came to mind. Because we were talking about the priesthood ban. Oh, this makes me so sick. I know exactly where you're going. I was so mad. Oh, this is the biggest thing that everyone was just livid about. He said, you know... Instead of asking, why didn't black people get the priesthood until 1978? I think the real question we should be asking is, why didn't whites get the priesthood until 18-whatever <laughs> that Joseph Smith invented the church? Yeah. Everyone lost their minds. How could I mean, you obviously, like, obviously. It is such manipulation to try to make you feel like, you know, totally shifting what we're talking about. You know, it, it felt so manipulative to me, which it was, which great lead into EFY. (laughs) Every (laughs) fucking thing they did was calculated Mm. and you could feel it in your bones. At least when I was a counselor, like my experience when I was a youth was very much like my parents sent me because they thought I was rebellious and by rebellious, meaning they found out I had a boyfriend when I was 13 Uh that I sat next to sometimes at lunch. So, okay. Just so you know, I was that kid. (laughs) Like (laughs) I'm not exaggerating at all. Like that's all we did 
<laughs> we didn't go anywhere together. <laughs> yeah, so I was rebellious, had this boyfriend when I was 13. So my parents decided to send me to EFY with one of my really good friends. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, you know, I've heard good things. Maybe it will be okay. It won't be that bad. Um, uh, but I was really hesitant because I've always, I always kind of kicked against the pricks as far as like, I don't want to be that culty person and sing hymns and you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, I went and I remember really liking it. Like everyone was really nice. Um, I really liked my group. I really liked my counselor. She was super sweet. I had a giant crush on one of the boys and was so embarrassingly gross, like just <laughs> talking to him. I kept asking him to dance all the time. I think the last day of the week, I even like gave him a flower or something so Aww. stupid. <laughs> just thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to like grow up and get married because we met at EFY. But <laughs> anyway, oh so, I remember just like feeling everything so strongly when I was there, you know, um, I remember, I don't remember who the speaker was. I was going to say I thought it was Brad, but I don't think it is. That was talking about like wanting to do really well now as a youth. So when you grow up, you could like have a wonderful and spiritual life. Mm. And like one thing he said that I remember writing in my journal about it. Um, he said like, think about how you're acting or feeling right now. And if I walked out on this stage and I brought your firstborn child and showed it to you, how do you think that would change how you behave? Like if you actually got to see this child, this spirit that you're bringing to the world, how would you want to change your behavior to like, know you're going to be their parent. And I remember getting like all the feels and I'm like, Oh my God, I want to be such a good person. Cause I want to be able to talk to my child about, you know, my youth and be an example and all these things. And it was like all of the tears and stuff. But I mean, looking back at it, even that is such crazy manipulation because it makes yeah. you think about how you want to be a good member of the church, frankly. Like, do you want to grow up and tell your child that you were doing all the bad things and like you want them to be a good Mormon, but you were a bad one. So no, you better change now and double down and, you know, X, Y, and Z. I think what stands out about that is the fact that they're talking to these young kids about being parents already. Like, shouldn't the focus oh, be yeah. this is how you become a good person so you can get an education or find the career right. of your dreams and then eventually get married? They're telling children to imagine their children. And that's a little iffy. And that's people yeah. wonder why Mormons get married when they're 18, 19, 20, 21. Oh, yeah. Like that's the main age is I would say 19 years old seems to be the average age, at least in Utah for Mormons to get married. Oh, yeah. One, because they've been primed for it since they were 12. And two, because they're so damn horny and they want to have sex, which I totally get. <laughs> um, but it's just it's not the yeah. way to go. Like you really shouldn't no. push these kids into marriage. But not only that, starting a family so young. Yeah. Because now you have children raising children. Oh, 100%. And I mean, there was another talk. I don't remember if I was a counselor or if I was a youth when I heard this talk. This was another one that I remember hitting me really hard. 
they talked about um, a football game that like life is like a football, game. not just life, but like human existence, right? And they were talking about how like it's the fourth quarter and Jesus brings in his prime quarterback, which is Joseph Smith. Oh, because he's going to lead us. I'm not even fucking kidding. He's going to lead us to a home run. And he was saved <laughs> for the fourth quarter. And you mean all a touchdown? of us that are left are the best players. And you're like, yeah. think about it. You know, you're trying you're trying to do well. You fumble the football. And all those spirits that are watching the game, your children are like, come on, mom. Come on, dad. You can do it. You can make that touch. I'm not kidding. And it was like, I remember feeling so guilty. I must have been a youth then because I remember feeling so guilty. I was like, what if I don't make the touchdown? Oh, my God. You know, this is Texas football's a big oh, deal. I was like, I'm not the quarterback. I'm not going to make the touchdown. And my children are watching me in the stand. Like, it's so dumb and manipulative, you know? Yeah, so, it's not enough yeah. that God is watching your every move. How about your unborn children who are yeah, looking down exactly. and judging you for what you're yeah. doing down here? That's right, a lot. Exactly. <laughs> That's a so, lot. It's very indoctrinating in a very emotionally manipulative way. Yeah. Um, do you know the? Do you remember the song like the Sisters in Zion and the of course Armies I of do Human that they would sing? Of course I do. I was the youth that they did it for the very first time. <gasps> wow. So, you know, that little badge of honor. But yeah. the reason I bring it up is because all week we practiced our separate parts. So like every single meeting that the women, the girls, because they're literal children, went to would sing Sisters and Zion after every time we got together. Because there were meetings for the boys and the girls separately. Yeah. So uh, we would do you practice sing us a bar? this. And they kept telling us it was going to be special. <laughs> and so I think it was the final day or the second to last day before testimony meeting. Which for those of you who don't know, testimony meeting in the Mormon church means anyone can just come up and talk about whatever they want. And yes, some weird shit goes down. Um, <laughs> But anyways, to prime us for testimony meeting, we all were in this giant auditorium and giant, even in Texas, it was like where the symphony would play when they came. Mm. So giant auditorium filled with all these youth. And then we started singing this and it never been heard before. And so literally all of the feels yeah, I have to paint the picture of the song because I'm not going to lie. It is a beautiful combination. Oh, it's pretty. It's, gorgeous. it's a great combo. Yeah. So you have the women singing something like, as sisters in Zion, we all work together. And yes. I don't remember the rest of the words. And then the men yes. are like, we are as the army of Helaman. It's this, like really perfect. You did booming. it exactly right. Brahma. Thanks. <laughs> so they combine them. So they sing at the exact same time. And you have this like melodic and the women are so feminine and beautiful and yes. then the men are like booming down below in the bass and it's yes. this really cool come you know what i'm gonna put yes. some on the screen so that people can hear what we're talking about
it's beautiful. Sisters in Zion was a song that already existed in the hymn, hymn book. And Armies of Philemon was a song that existed for primary children. I grew up singing it. I'm sure yeah. you did. And at the time, that hadn't been brought together. So this was the first time anyone was hearing it. Uh-huh. And, I mean, talk about the feels. Like, it was just like, you know, and just singing. And then we go to testimony meeting immediately oh, after. Oh, right. Girl, talk about making the spirit at the high, or what they call the spirit. You yeah. know, we talked about it. It's very much just having a good warm feeling, goosebumps, you know, all mm. those things and associating it with the this spirit. magical, the Holy Ghost, human, or I guess not human spirit that resides within you to tell you what is good and what is bad. Yeah. So you're all full of these emotions, hearing this amazingly beautiful music. And then they want you to go up and everyone is getting up. I mean, testimony meeting went on for hours, Whoa. It, hours. And we were split in groups, right? And I remember them bringing up several people came and bore testimony of this. And I even remember in the moment being like, this is fucking weird, which is saying a lot for me because I enjoy music and was feeling the feels. Several girls got up and were like, I just want to bear testimony of the priesthood because I don't think you young men and you know, the tears are coming through. Like, I don't think you realize you hold the same priesthood power that the prophet of God does. I can't. <laughs> I can't do And I it. remember even at the time, I was like, they took that from the devotional. Because that was our morning devotional that they brought that up that day. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> and I was of like. Of course they did. And I was so annoyed because all these boys were like falling for it too. They're like, you're right. I hold the power of God, just like the prophet. And I was like, oh, no, that's really? a recipe because for I disaster. Just saw you picking your nose. Oh, geez. Yeah. I think we really need to hit home here. What the Mormon church is doing that other churches aren't, I, at least to my knowledge. I don't know of any other yeah. church. Let me know, guys, in the comments, because I grew up in a cult. What do I know? It's to steal Aaron from growing up in Scientology's line. Um I don't think there's another church that gives the power of God to a 12-year-old boy. I think you have right. to earn that. Like, even in Jehovah's Witness, you have to earn the title of elder. And yeah. I just think it is a recipe for disaster when you have these young boys that literally gain a God complex. They think that they are God. And it breeds this 1, intense narcissistic behavior where they can do no wrong. And I have heard so right. many horror stories of people dating in BYU or even after BYU or just dating within the Mormon community of men who would even go as far to assault someone and just be like, well, I have the power of God and you just, you know, yeah. Like, it's just so bad and dangerous what they do when they put these ideas in these boys' heads. And then, and I almost, like, I sympathize with them. I feel bad for them because yeah. they were 
brainwashed too. And so you can't even blame them most of the time because they've been hearing this their whole life that they are supposed to grow up to have the power of the priesthood and they can literally lay on hands and bless the sickness out of people. And this is what they think. They think they have the powers of God to do this. And, And then let's say the person that they bless, I kid you not, they're literally telling people who have cancer, I bless you that your cancer will be healed and gone and go away. When that person dies of cancer, they think and they are told that's because their their faith was faltering and that they weren't worthy enough to give the blessing or they weren't yeah. spiritual enough or whatever it is. It It's never the church. The church is never the problem. It's always within the members. So my goodness. And let me also clarify with the testimony meeting. Uh, I always thought the testimony was also a very common word, but I'm learning through the comments that people are like, what does that even mean? So you get up and yeah. you say... I bear witness that I know, it's never I believe, it's I know this church is true. And that's like oh, the main, well, the main Shalise, sentence. To interrupt you, some people that I remember in my word, if they said, I believe it's true, people would talk about them and be like, they said, I believe. I don't know if she really has a testimony. I wow. like, this was a common thing. Maybe it was just my word. I'll put it out there. They're, It might just be my word, but that was the thing. If you said, I believe people would like shame you, be they like, so you don't really know. You just believe. Okay. 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 So you get up there and you declare that the church that you are a part of is the one true church, not a version of God's church. It's this is the one true church on the planet. We're the only ones yeah. doing it right. Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. He's the guy that founded it. Um, and then they usually go off into other things like, I didn't have money to eat, but I still knew that I had to pay tithing, which is 10% <laughs> require 10% of your income. And they teach us children. They have children give their yeah. allowance money. And I, you know, these college kids, I remember very distinctly getting up or high school kids, right? Or just barely like a freshman in college, they would come home to the home ward and give testimony. And they would say, I didn't have enough money to eat, but I knew I had to pay tithing. So I paid tithing. And then someone bought me a hamburger or like something to where they're like, see, God provided. And I'm just thinking, or you have a nice friend that gave you a hamburger. Correlation does not mean causation. Just because one thing happened and another thing, it doesn't mean that that's God looking out for you. Maybe it it does. I will just say maybe there is a higher being out there looking out for us. But the more probable option is that if you have money that you need to eat, you should probably eat it instead of giving it to a $100 billion corporation. It's just, it's too much. And I mean, kind of piggybacking off that, it's something that almost the church doesn't make room for anything other than it being God. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience growing up, every good thing that came to us was because of God. And, you know, if you were wealthy, it was because of God. If you were poor, it was because of God. If, you know, any any situation that you're in, positive or negative, it was of God, you know? And so I think people don't really think of any other reason than God did it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
which causes a lot of problems. But we're getting off into oh, a super tons. juicy tangent. Let's get back onto EFY. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to talk about as a, a child in EFY before we get into counselorship? It was just like that. Everything I experienced, I came back super hyped and super spiritual and er, feeling like that, you know, just on this high of like, I can do anything. I, mm-hmm. I've got all the good things. I spent all this time, like God's on my side. I'm going to make it happen. And, you know, of course that goes away within a few days, <laughs> you know, which just goes to show how manipulative it is. But I had such a good time being a participant that when I got older and saw they had job openings, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a difference in someone's life. It's going to yeah. be incredible. Plus, I'm going to have a lot of fun because I some saw some of the boys that, you know, were applying uh. as well. And I was like, eight weeks traveling around with these boys doesn't sound like a bad idea. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Even the interview was manipulative. Um, they had us in a group. It was like a semicircle. I believe it was all female. I actually don't remember, but it was a group, you know, interview. And they went around and they had us play like, I want to say like trust games, but like um, team building activities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they had us do a couple of those. And then they went around and asked questions to see like how you interact with people or how you would handle situations. And I remember this so specifically because I was like, this is so mean. They asked me what I would do if I had a girl under me, like in my group, that was dressed immodestly. Because there is a rule there, like they pretty much follow BYU dress code standards. And if you had a girl, and it was just females, I want to be very clear on that. It was only for the girls. The boys did not have dress code standards. They would have to go back to their room and change. And they asked me how I would handle that. And I was like, because I thought like in my heart, I was like, that's super mean. Like to just not let someone participate because of their outfit. And I mean, even now as an adult thinking with my full brain, this was a sleepaway camp. Um, how are these girls going to change when they've only brought so many clothes? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, how mean is that? What if they don't have anything else? Like, yeah. are you just going to exclude them the whole week when they've spent, you know, almost a thousand dollars to be there? But at that time, I didn't think that way. And I was like, oh, I would talk to her and take her to the side and not embarrass her, you know, or whatever bullshit answer. And they were like, <laughs> That's so great. And they all, can we just, do you know, like, the Relief Society, like, mm-hmm, yes, yes, I, yes, thank you. Like, so tender. Right. And <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, that's not me. So that was another thing. I felt like I was trying to talk like that. So they would like me. Oh, so my I was like, God. I would take her to the side and just, you know, really try to understand how she's feeling. Like, I remember that voice is triggering me right now. I was like, (laughs) why am I like, I can hear myself. And I'm like, why am I talking like this? You know? Yeah. yeah, So I got hired 
It was just as manipulative for the counselors as it was for the youth. They gave you a binder of like your morning devotionals or evening devotional. Everything that you were teaching one-on-one to your group was in there. And I remember we were having, I think it was evening devotional. Maybe it was morning devotional. Um, The point is, it was just me and my group of girls. And I was like, let's all get cozy. We're like sitting on pillows on the floor and like trying to be girlfriends. And I remember I was, I remember this so well. I was teaching a story about Eve about how she should be honored and not shamed. Like women are amazing. And if it wasn't for Eve, then we wouldn't be able to be on this earth and, you know, all these things. And while I'm telling this story, it, you know, it was kind of quiet. And all of a sudden I got a really big chill and I looked and I could see some of the girls kind of go like this. And I go, did you feel that? that was the spirit saying that what I'm saying is true. And all of them were like, I felt that too. I remember them going around. They were like, I felt that too. I I mean, now I'm like, probably the AC kicked on. We were sitting on tiled floor (laughs) in like pajamas, you know? But I mean, it was like, we were playing like light as a feather, stiff as a board. And everyone's like, they moved. I lifted them. I know, you know, like that's how it was. And in my heart, I was like, was it? Okay. They all felt it. So like, I'm doing the right thing. Right. Like, yeah, that's what it was going on in my head. Cause I was like, well, this feels nice and they all seem to be feeling nice. So I must be doing the right thing. Yeah. I noticed too, they tried to hook up counselors a lot. Like they would try to put us with people that, they would ask us, like, do you have a crush on anyone? Like, they would ask us. And then the next week, that person would be your partner. I'm not kidding. I bet that and was exciting, like, oh. though, right? Yes and no. Because <laughs> I felt weird when I was with, like, someone I was interested in. So I was like, um, what if they don't think I'm spiritual enough? Or what if they think I'm weird? And, like... It made me feel very self-conscious a Mm. lot, you know? So, I mean, you could very much tell. It was a joke that, like, EFY was just a dating show for them to hook up single members. And a lot of them did get married. Like, there were several couples that got married, or people that met at EFY and got married only a couple months later. So this was a thing. Yeah. Right. Because you're in the prime age of 18, 19, 20, right? Right. And not only that, I think, um, I mean, the things that you felt as a youth or I felt those same spiritual experiences do happen as a counselor. You're in those too. And so I think, you know, if I'm a counselor hearing about what if they brought out your unborn baby, I'd be like, yes, I need to get married and have a baby. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it was just, it was crazy. And I saw so many youth have these like aha moments or really being taken in by this manipulation, you know? Yeah. Um, I talked to all my girls individually and you kind of hear about their experiences and what they were feeling. And many of them were like, I didn't see it that way. And now I do. And I felt this way while they were talking and 
I remember one specific talk that, um, oh, by the way, the speakers were like always men. Of course. (laughs) Even to just the women. He had a light on at one end of the stage. Like you can't see my hand. It was like light on at one end of the stage. And then it was dark at the other side because (laughs) that's how light works. And he started at the one end of the stage and he was like, well, it's light here, but what if I move a little bit forward? Well, it's still light here. What if I move here? Oh, it's, it, I'm still in the light. And he starts going, eventually he's at the other end of the stage, uh-huh. right? And he's like, well, now I'm totally in the dark. And how did that happen? Little by little. What oh, if geez. you go on a date before you're 16? And then what, like, and he was just doing all these things that are not really big deals. And at the end, you're like having sex and getting pregnant. Right. Like, and one of my girls came to me and she was like, I think I'm on that path because I met a guy and we've been holding hands and it gets better. She's like, I was thinking about kissing him and I'm probably going to get pregnant. No. Like she didn't know how sex worked. And she thought if she kissed him, she was going to get pregnant. Oh, my gosh. This was like a 16 or 17-year-old girl. Right. And I remember sitting there and I was like, well, I'm not going to have a sex talk with this literal child, even though she, I mean, I was 18 at the time. So she was like two years younger than me. Yeah. But I was like, um... I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe you should talk to your mom about it (laughs) or your bishop. And I hate that I said that. Yeah. Because that's none of her bishop's business. And I certainly hope she did not go home and do that. I think that was what we were kind of told to do, to have them lean on the church and lean on their spiritual experiences to take home, you know, and do better themselves. That's also not uncommon. Going to a bishop for something like learning how to have sex, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what the bishop would even say to that. He would probably just say, "Don't." But yeah, it's just not uncommon to take your issues, family issues. I mean, I remember my bishop sitting me down to tell me, like my parents didn't even tell me about my dad who was having an affair. Like, I didn't even know what the word meant. I was just like, what? And why are you telling I'm me? So sorry. Like, it's, I mean, yeah, it sucks. And I'm just like, why is this, why is my bishop involved? Has nothing to do with right. him. And then you're expected to go to the bishop with your sexual issues. And they, I say yeah. sexual issues in air quotes because they're not issues. It's just, no. I have a sex drive and that's considered an issue. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, oh, there's so many things wrong with that. Getting the church involved where they really shouldn't be and it should be the parents who are teaching their kids. But even the parents, they don't know what to say. They weren't given sex right. education. They don't know how to properly tell a child about sex and consent and boundaries and what feels good and what may not feel good and that you have choice and just so many things. In fact, I did an entire episode with XMLX about it. It's just, it creates so many distortions when you you have this abstinence-only policy. And for those who are about to type in the comments angrily, should people just have sex with everybody? No, 
That's also not the answer, but education is the answer. Teaching these kids yeah. about their actual anatomy, what goes on yeah. in a month for a female, how you actually conceive. I didn't learn about my own anatomy until I became an egg donor and was like, oh, that's how like everything works. Oh I gosh. mean, obviously, I knew I had a period. I was old enough to yeah. understand that. <laughs> but I didn't know about the hormone spikes and the all the things that go on and that you can only get pregnant certain days of the month if you have a regular cycle. Just things that'd be really helpful for kids to know because right. abstinence <laughs> only doesn't work. They eventually have sex and they probably have unprotected sex because they don't even know how to protect that, themselves. That's a thing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really problematic. Were there any other things that you can remember at EFY that seems particularly manipulative or intentionally manipulative? It's funny because as counselors, they told us not to sensationalize things. So they're like, we want them to really feel the spirit, not have it sensationalized and feel the spirit. What do they mean by that? They would tell us that, you know, just try not to be so over the top or whatever. So I tried really hard not to. But um, I remember being kind of mad because I felt like that's what the speakers did. Yeah. There was one that really stuck out to me that this was the whole group. And he gave a talk about um, the atonement. And he went through the entire anatomy of what happened to Jesus's body, you know, putting the nails in. When you do it here, this is what happens. And the blood drains out. And when you cut here, it's because it cuts this organ and this like through the whole thing. Right. And with diagrams and pictures, I'm not kidding. And this is to a group of teenagers, right? Right. And as he's doing this, I remember looking at my partner and I said, what is going on? And he was like, and we just sat there and let him do this. And it was very impactful to these children because they were like, wow, Jesus did all of that just for me. Cause he very much emphasized how personal the atonement is. And I don't want to make people think I'm saying the atonement was not personal or, you know, for your sins or whatever, because I don't want to say that. I know very many people believe in that and do you. But what made me angry is showing very graphic things to youth, obviously without their parents knowing, mm -hmm. you know, like you were saying, putting trust in adults just because they happen to also have your religion and then making them feel like all of these horrific things were done to this man specifically for you because you're a bad person that was basically the message like yeah. you are such a sinner and s everyone in this room is such a sinner jesus did all of these really horrible wretched had this pain and every place like do you know how many pores are in a square inch on your arm right and he's like think every single one of those pores had blood dripping from it and everyone's like you know, like, it, right? Your face is exactly how everyone's face was. That's a lot. And I was like, I don't think this is for children. I'm never, like, <laughs> thinking that. <laughs> yeah, like, that's really gruesome. Yeah, but we're not allowed to watch rated R movies. Mm, right. <laughs> it's like showing a murder scene and then making them feel 
somewhat responsible for that. Yes. And then also it's the added layer of guilt where I'm sure at some point he probably said, and so if you're sinning, that just means that he did it for nothing. Like he, you're not going to be saved and he died this excruciatingly painful death and you don't even care. Yeah. That was a hundred percent exactly the message. I'm sure there are many, many people who left there feeling like complete shit. I mean, how could you not? Yeah. You know, and even though I understood it as, even though I was still very young, I understood it more as an older person that like, yes, but no, Mm -hmm. there were some of my girls absolutely in tears feeling like there was no way they were ever going to repent enough basically to make up for what Jesus did to be worthy. Right. And that just made me feel like shit because I was like, I don't want to go and say, I don't think that teacher was right. You know, I didn't want to say it. Cause I think he was even like an area authority or something like mm. one of the higher ups, you know, but also I didn't want them to feel bad about themselves yeah like who wants to have a 14 year old girl crying in your arms feeling like she's never gonna be able to be forgiven for probably something stupid you know I mean for more it was probably something as dumb as like gossiping about her friend or whatever you know yeah so that was really really hard that's so much and It's a tricky line because, of course, we want to put our kids. I mean, every parent who sent their child off had the best of intentions. They wanted their kid to go off and learn about the church and become more worthy. I hate that word so much. And just become a better person. And that's what the parents were taught to is this is how you become a better person by doubling down on the church and praying more and serving more and more, 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 more. So yeah, it's a fine line because that's not to say there aren't camps out there for children who are good and do help them become better. And I'm sure a lot of these kids did get good things out of it. But the thing is, of course, there's going to be some good things you can pull from it. Because if it was all bad, no one would go. Yeah. But you have to be able to recognize the things that are harmful and that are hurting these kids mentally, emotionally, spiritually, where they feel less than or they feel too mighty and they feel like they are God. Like there are negative impacts that I think need to be considered very, very closely because just because you walk away having a good feeling doesn't mean that it's a wash and everything was great. And so I just had to point that out because I know there's a bunch of different camps out there that maybe are religious and they don't harp on the specific Bible and they just teach like overall lessons of how to be a good person. Like, great, that's awesome. But what we wanted to illustrate here was the manipulation and the the lengths that they would go to put down these kids in an effort to control them and in an effort to indoctrinate them further into the church so that they will not falter, that they will grow up and say, you know what? I've heard about the polygamy. I've heard about the 
race in the priesthood. I've heard about Joseph Smith and his underage wives, but you know what? I had that incredible experience at EFY, and I just can't deny that I was feeling the spirit. And then they stay in. Exactly. Right. So that's what happens when you go to these events where, like you said, day to night, morning to midnight, you are doing things and you are actively quote, feeling the spirit in ways that you've never felt before. But you know what that is? That's introspection. That's learning about yourself. That's having camaraderie with people. That's talking about doing good things. Like, of course, you're going to come away feeling a certain type of way when you've never experienced anything like that before because your whole life has just been school and church. And maybe you don't get that type of emotional connection in a regular church setting. So I just want everyone to be able to look at this from a new perspective and be able to say, maybe there was good, but of course there's also bad. And I can see that now. And I, and I want something different for my kids, or maybe look at your own experiences. If you've been a part of a group like that and be able to pick it apart and understand Maybe you had a spiritual experience, and that's amazing. I am not discrediting anyone's spiritual experiences. I've had my own that were incredible. But what we can do now is understand that that spiritual experience probably, and I'm going to say like huge probability, that it had nothing to do with the group that you were a part of. It just had everything to do with you as a human, with you as a connection to the divine, if you want to believe that. It doesn't necessarily mean that the group that you paid to have that experience with is all good. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) No, I I think that's really good to point out because there were people that were not members of the church that came you know, kids would invite their friends to come. Right. And those same kids would have those same spiritual experiences, even though what? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They weren't baptized Mormon. Right. And they had those same spiritual experiences. And I remember talking to them and being like, see, you can feel it too. And you have the light of Christ just because you're who you are. And I was reprimanded basically Mm. um by one of the other counselors saying i don't think you should put that in their head because then they think everyone has the light of christ and and that's not true and i was like to have it yeah i i don't think that's true you know but i remember feeling like oh my gosh i'm teaching incorrect doctrine that's how i took it Mm. you know and also along those same lines of you know, that there is a lot of good out of it. There were many people in testimony meeting that would bear testimony of friendship that coming to this, they had felt like they didn't have friends or they were the weird kid, or even sometimes they would say, I'm the only Mormon at my school and coming here, everyone was accepting and loving. And that is something that was felt. I never saw kids being othered or not having someone to sit with or, you know, things like that. Um, There was a real feeling of love and friendship with every single person that went, every single counselor, every single child that was there. I mean, I'm sure there were clicks and, you know, things like that, but there was not a feeling of you can't sit with us. You know what I'm saying? And so although, you know, there was heavy, culty indoctrination going on 
there were really amazing things that came out of it. I still am in contact with some of the girls. I was their counselor. Mm. And they know I've left the church. Some of them are still in. Some of them are not. And we still have great relationships because it was real. Yeah. Having, you know, like you were saying, coming of age, learning about yourself. All of that is very real. What's not real is telling someone that they're going to be on the dark side if they kiss their boyfriend. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's it's hard. And that's the other thing, too, is everything that is good about these cults, these religions, these high demand groups is not unique to that group. Everyone right. is having those experiences in other religious or Christian camps like People are having these good experiences everywhere, which is why I am like, well, you don't need that group then to have a positive experience. You can get that outside of religion. You can form an art group or something and like do art therapy together (laughs) for five days and learn about yourself and make friends. Like it doesn't have to be laced and just laden with shame and guilt about who you are as a human being and are you good enough? Are you worthy enough? You're probably not doing enough. And that's where I have an issue with it. So I'm so glad we got to talk about this today. Thank you so much for your time and joining me. And I just cannot wait to get into the nudist temple that you worked at. (laughs) I mean, talk about night and day going from Mormonism to- That's another place you can really (laughs) feel the spirit and have all the good feels, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, guys, if you like this episode, definitely stay tuned for the next one. It's going to be fire. Before we go, I need your Linda Listen moment, your sassy statement as a viral video with a toddler goes to anyone who's pissed you off or inspiration for our listeners and viewers. Yeah. Okay. So, my Linda Listen, which, by the way, I freaking love that clip. So, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Linda Listen. Just because someone or something is giving you all the good feels and makes you happy in the moment doesn't mean that is the only place to find happiness. I guarantee you can find that same serenity, happiness, friendship in other places. And frankly, they'll be nicer to you. Yeah. It's probably going to be you're probably going to find a more condi- or unconditional love than the conditional love that you're experiencing now. I love it. Exactly. Such a good Linda listen. Any final thoughts before we go? Um, I just appreciate you guys listening. I'm really excited to get into my other life and uh, share some more about um, kind of what happens when you're used to being indoctrinated. And even though you think you're out, You're not. Mm, Cliffhanger there. So with that, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you to all the viewers and listeners out there who tuned into this. If you like this episode, I will put two right here that you will definitely want to check out. If you want to support the podcast, that would mean the world. Patreon.com slash Cults to Consciousness or just like, share, comment. That also helps immensely. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. 
You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.